come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I am your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Debbie. I'm your polter guide, Matt. And we have polter guest Ian this week. Hi, thanks for coming, Ian. Hello, thanks for having me on again. And thanks for uh, suggesting this movie to us. Yeah. So this week we watched the 2001 cult classic, Donnie Darko. Now, for those of you that don't know what it's about, our good, good buddies and Max Nemesis at IMDb want you to know that after narrowly escaping a bizarre accident, a troubled teenager... This is- movie that is not, in fact, Gilbert Grape, <laughs> which is what I thought it was. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that Gilbert Grape and Donnie Darko were the same movie for a very long time, and this movie is not, in fact, Gilbert Grape. I just, I just thought for anybody else who was suffering the same confusion <laughs> that I'd clear that up now. That is a very specific confusion. If you were going in expecting Gilbert Grape, uh, you, you would probably be disappointed or un- unsettled. Confused. Confused. I think, I think the door swings both ways. If you were expecting Donnie Darko and you went into Gilbert Grape, you'd be like, this wasn't, this wasn't what I bargained for. I mean... A, a dark-haired young man with a alliterative name. I mean, I mean... There's six or seven Spider-Man movies I'd like to show. <laughs> there is a whole genre, you're right, of dark-haired young men with alliterative names. You're right. Yes. Um, yeah. And they write, and they usually work with Ryan Murphy, so it's... <laughs> so IMDb <laughs> didn't, is not confused. And, hey, well, <laughs> well between the two between the two let's okay but i i think the real description of the movie is the answer to the question no one was asking is finally answered what if david lynch had directed back to the future <laughs> <laughs> we're done um Thanks everyone for coming. Don't read the Latin. We'll that's my time. That's my time, ladies we'll and gentlemen. See you next time. See you in two years again. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Th- thanks for coming, Ian. Uh, uh, totally disagree, though. So, uh, a troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes. Bunnies, bunnies, bunnies. <laughs> I think that's a joke that only Kenzie gets. Possibly. No, I get it. I remember. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't remember 100% the context, but I knew you did. Uh, um, why am I blank? Uh, Ennio Morricone with bunnies just going forever. It's a good joke. It's a good joke. It's not bad. And if I weren't wearing headphones, my dog would be sitting up going, yes, I'm here. I'm yes. beautiful. <laughs> oh, bunny. I love Ennio Morricone. I love the spaghetti westerns. I am a dog. all right so let's go around did you like it did you not like it had you seen it before uh donna let's let's start with you um listen um this movie has a unique um a unique place in my brain because usually 
if I don't really understand a movie, it gives me a headache and I don't like it. This movie pulled me. I really wish I had actually watched it earlier so that I could watch it a second time. Um, but I didn't. I watched it late last night. I didn't have time to watch it a second time. Um, I enjoyed it very much. Um, I was drawn in. I was watching it. I was paying attention to it. And the way my brain works, I don't give my full attention to anything. I'm sorry. That's just the truth of my brain. Um, but I was giving it a good solid 80, 85% of my attention. And um that should be the pull cover on the poster, you know. <laughs> I gave it 85% of my attention. Don Lee beyond the cabin in the woods. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was paying attention to it. I was enjoying it. I was intrigued by it. And at after thinking about it quite a bit, I'm still not 100% sure I understood what was going on. But I did not have a headache. And I enjoyed it. So it is a movie that I did not fully understand. And I still enjoyed it anyway. So, um, yes, I enjoyed it. Um, I wish I had watched it earlier so I could watch it again. I mean, I can. I just can't watch it before this podcast. So, <laughs> well, time is something. Um, I I remember, I mean, I, I've seen it before. I, I don't think you got through college in the early aughts without having to have sat down and experienced it. And I remember really, really loving it then. It's not a comment on the movie that I didn't enjoy as much now as I did almost 20 years ago. It's more of a comment on me. And that's been sending me into a, a, a tiny contemplative place that maybe the movie intended to. Anyway, somebody <laughs> else say something. <laughs> I remember vaguely like when the movie came out, but I never saw it until uh last year or the year before um when we, i watched it with ian because he said it was his favorite movie um and i yeah i really enjoyed it well i guess mine's been given away uh <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> uh i have a tattoo of it so uh i guess well, that, that answers that <laughs> tell us what your tattoo is it's 28 days six hours 42 minutes 12 seconds are, are you a big fan of the director's cut versus the theatrical cut? Or do you have feelings either way? I do not like the director's cut. I like the original. I think the director's cut spoils too many things. Doesn't leave enough mystery. Uh, I'd seen this before. It I remember hearing reading about it when it was coming out and it was hitting the festivals. And the cast intrigued me mainly just because it was something Drew Barrymore was doing and it was unusual for her especially at that time and it's one I can take or leave like I'm, I'm never mad when I watch it but I also know there's a point in the film where it loses me and then at the it comes back to get me like and we'll get into that point but it's you know I'm never mad at it and I'm never you know I it's it's fine <laughs> even with my different opinion the last several minutes of the film are just as affecting now as they were yeah yeah then. and that's and like i said i know cuz i've watched this different times in my life in my 20s my 30s now my 40s and i know when that point hits and then i'm like okay this is the point and that's okay like that is i'm okay with that because then i know it's going to it's going to loop <laughs> loop back around <laughs> and get me and it does so I'm, I'm very much with Kenzie on that. I think she articulated what I was <laughs> contemplating. So I try Mac. 
I try. You do. You do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think let's go ahead. That's our first talking point is going to be the difference between the director's cut and the theatrical cut. Well, as the expert, Ian, why don't you why don't you discuss the difference between the two? Well, probably the main is it has these interstitial sections that are from the philosophy of time travel, the book from from it. Oh. And they give you this little breadcrumbs of what is supposed to be going on. And I'd liken it to uh, Blade Runner with the version where Deckard speaks over and tells you what you're supposed to be feeling and thinking each, uh, at each point and ruins it and destroys some of the uh, emotion. Or um, the book, which was actually written in lieu of a screenplay for 20, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. In which it's a very long book and it's it's enjoyable, but it's nowhere near as good as the movie because we have these monoliths and we know they're put here by aliens as something to uh, accelerate evolution and also give us a warning about when uh, you know, this species has evolved at a certain point. And that's pretty cool and interesting, but it's not mysterious. They've spoiled everything. Whereas in the movie, what is this? What is it doing? Why are we finding them? And that's cool. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I'm re actually rereading 2001 right now. So that like when you were describing that, I was like, it would be almost as if you played 2001 with the audiobook of Arthur C. Clarke's 2001 over it. That's my memory of the director's cut. It's been a while since I've seen it. Um, the mythology, like Donna, you would not have had a headache, but I don't think you would have enjoyed it as much. You would have had a very clear idea of what was supposed to happen and when, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the magic is gone. Yeah, see, okay. I've, I've just watched the theatrical cut, but, but, but before we were recording, I read the difference. Like, you know, cause when you had mentioned, hey, there's a director's cut and it really surprised me with the director's cut, how much spoon feeding he does, which normally mm -hmm. it's, it's flipped. Normally the studio wants, what's going to be easiest to explain where in today's reality, the original cut would be the director's cut, the more um, ambiguous of things. Right. And, and so I just, I found that fascinating. So fascinating. And I think the appropriate thing to do is watch the movie without any of that and then go online and read all about it and realize that, Oh, that's what that mystery meant. And Oh, that's what's going on here. And that's cool, but you don't want it during the movie. That's right. Cool. It would have been better if they had released the philosophy philosophy of time travel as a book you could have read. Which they sort of did. And there's the Donnie Darko book that has passages from it, right? Well, or you, online, there's uh, oh. you can find passages from it. You can't read okay. the full book, but yes. That, yeah. But that would be neat. That would have been also a marketing genius because you can sell that along with the DVD. Every, like uh, any time in a movie that where there's a book that doesn't really exist, I'm like, you needed to have made that book. It's not that hard. Like, I think I said that about Rob Zombie's Halloween when uh, Loomis wrote the book. I'm like, I, I don't like Rob Zombie's Halloween, but I would have read the hell out of Loomis's book. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 So, um, yeah, yeah, I will. I will go do that. I will go look up those passages. One thing, um, the ending surprised me because what I thought we were going for, and I was both enjoying and disappointed by it, what I thought we were going for right up until the movie started wrapping up was a mystery about whether Donnie was just schizophrenic. 
and all of this was in his head or if if it was real if frank was some sort of real demon or or something um and then when it really did become a time travel story i was like oh well that's a completely different story than what I thought I was experiencing. So um, that was a, that was a nice surprise because I do kind of get a little tired of crazy people or bad stories. Um, so that was nice. Yeah. That, yeah. This is definitely not that. Quite literally. If you read some of the supplemental stuff, it's superhero. Yeah. Yeah. They do call him. Uh, they do say at least once in the movie that he's yeah. got a superhero name. Right. The alliterative name. The Yeah. And skipping ahead a little bit, there's a point where an axe gets plunged into uh, pure bronze. He's one that did that, and that requires super strength. Mm-hmm. That was a really creepy mascot, by the way. And I'm speaking as somebody who graduated from Muskogee High School, the Ruffers. <laughs> um, that's a creepy mascot. <laughs> Once I actually got a look at him, I was like, what? The mongrel. Is that? <laughs> Um, the Ruffers, by the way, um, is a bulldog standing upright with a speak, spiked collar by a uh, an oil well. And that's, he's, not far, that's not far from this one. Yeah, he's a little odd looking, too, but he's not as creepy as uh, the mongrel. That was that was a fairly demonic looking bronze <laughs> statue itself, by the way. Um so, yeah, but you're right. Plunging an axe into a bronze statue is not something uh, an average person is going to bounce that axe off the bronze statue and right into themselves, most likely. <laughs> so. So, yeah, there was a point early on when I wrote down Patrick Swayze, Drew Barrymore and Nola Wiley. OK, I'm in. So <laughs> I was, amazed they let Noah Wiley out of Chicago in that era. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm really curious. I would like to go see, does Noah Wiley ever play a stupid character? I've never seen him play a stupid character. He, oh, 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 uh, a few good men. He was one of oh. the, he was one of the witnesses. He wasn't like stupid, but he was just, you know, a grunt Marine, not yeah. okay. high, high intellectual. I was like searching database, searching database. Bing! <laughs> okay they they did and it didn't really work and they said no more no more he is yeah. he is smart man forever that's not true he played it very well he was very good in that role i i'm sorry Noah. i shouldn't have said that i was going for a joke and it didn't really work and i apologize you did very well in that role and no wiley's doing fine he doesn't need he doesn't need he doesn't need us i mean he, appre- <laughs> he appreciates the effort and the gesture but he's fine he's fine Something odd about the character is Noah Wiley decided that his character in this movie would be diabetic. Now, did anyone catch that? No, probably not. Because the only time you ever notice that is he pulls candy out of his pocket occasionally and opens it and eats it. Now, that's never explicit that he's diabetic. But for whatever reason, he chose that was going to be part of his character and it was going to matter. I don't know if we can argue that it did matter to us the viewing no, audience it's just a nice that reminds me of a uh in-law i used to have and i just remember i just happened to be watching him when he pulled a little machine out of his pocket and then got up and walked over and got a piece of cake and came back and sat it and sat down and ate it <laughs> and uh, it was a really subtle thing if i hadn't have been watching i wouldn't have noticed so um but no that's just a nice touch and it's something actors you know i appreciate seeing an actor do so I, it reminds me of um, 
uh, Brad Pitt in the Oceans movies decided he was either hypoglycemic or uh, or diabetic. And anytime you see him, he's always eating something. Mm. And I think the way he explained it was what it gave him something to do a physical bit of business during a scene. Mm. I, I could see that because like there, there is sort of a low impact quality to Noah Wiley's character. He may have thought if I'm doing something with the eating of the candy, then I have something else to do. I'm not just standing in the classroom mm. lecturing. Mm-hmm. I'm doing all these hand gestures of eating <laughs> for our podcast listeners who enjoy my theater of hands. <laughs> you know, it, the, the, impact of what you're doing carries the energy yes yes carries through so what did everyone think about that opening font the opening what the font Font. of the movie oh it did not leave enough of an impact on me for me to remember it i I remember seeing it and thinking well that's an odd choice also i can maybe duplicate it I am somewhere between Donna and, and, and Debbie on this one. I'm like, I'm, I'm yeah. on the Donna side because I'm sitting here. I'm like, I don't remember it. Drop some science. It felt very low res, very, uh, I just typed this out in Word. I just, you know, it mm. doesn't feel like a blockbuster movie, mm-hmm. which it wasn't a blockbuster movie, but it doesn't feel like mm. something we went to see in the theaters. It feels very. Something uh, you discover on video. Yeah. 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 You know. Well, and also I thought it kind of contradicted a little bit with, at least for some reason, I have an expectation of what font I expected to see. And it would have been like, you know, the all caps, like scrawling, you know, mm. kind of, I don't, I don't know. And so when I saw this, I was just like, oh, well, that's flowing and, you know, just a different aesthetic than, than the feel of the movie to me anyway. And then it's definitely in stark contrast to the poster that has, if I remember right, sort of an ethereal glow to Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the poster is there's, well, aren't there a couple of them that there's one that's kind of everybody's head that's in the shape of Frank that says Donnie Darko, yes. which I, have, I thought that one was really cool. I have two of those signed by the whole cast. Oh, neat. Nice. Very cool. Including Patrick Swayze? Yes. Nice. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Swayze fan. He's not signing anymore, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's worth some money. Not, not, not only a, a, a very attractive man, but he seems to have been a very good, genuinely good person. And that's just a very nice combination of, of traits for a person to have. So. so speaking of Swayze, I love, especially later on in his career, that he was picking things so against type for him. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, because you have this, you have two Wong Fu. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, I, I love that because this is so not the Patrick Swayze most people think of in this movie. Right. H- handsome man, good guy, and eager to stop being a leading man and be a character actor. Like, he, yeah. like you almost get the feeling that he was impatient like, oh, okay, point break, dirty dancing, whatever. Can I play the like the, the creepo with the porn the kitty porn dungeon? Yeah. I'm, Slash, I'm, I'm ready to play the fun roles. Okay. Yeah. Slash Marianne Williamson stand in. Because yeah. Venn diagram of him and Marianne Williamson in this movie is essentially a, an oval. <laughs> I, the outre is porn kitty porn dungeon, because I, I I I'm not. And it's important that I say this out loud. I don't insinuate that Marianne Williamson has a kitty porn dungeon. I don't say she doesn't. I just say I can't prove it at this particular moment. 
We won't know unless we burn her house down. Yeah, that's true, though. <laughs> OK, how did Frank know that? So I can give you an answer that delves deep into it. Please do. I mean, we're, we are now dissecting this movie. All right. So in the philosophy of time travel, it talks about how during these loops, during these time loops where they're trying to close up uh, something that has happened that has messed with the timeline. There is uh, someone who is called the living receiver. That's Donnie. He's the one that's in charge of fixing things. But he is aided by people called manipulated living and manipulated dead. Now, anyone who dies during that time loop is manipulated dead. Frank is one of those. He dies during this time loop. And so he's able to come to Donnie and uh, help him to fix this. And because he is has the knowledge of the entire loop he knows that that's the case okay okay so donnie burns the house down exposes the kitty porn dungeon now at the end of the movie donnie doesn't die so presumably the kitty porn dungeon is not exposed so how is that fixed well so the interesting part is we are shown at the very end of the movie that some of the people have memories that they don't they don't memory they don't fully remember but have sort of an inkling of what occurred during the loop okay and so one of those examples is we see patrick swayze at the end kind of looking ashamed and crying because he knows that there he has a sort of a sense memory of during that time loop he was found out okay okay you also see it also at the end with uh Donnie's girlfriend and I'm sorry I blanked on her name Gretchen and his Ross. Thank you. Gretchen and Donnie's mom acknowledging each other after the crash. Like there mm-hmm. there's a moment that they they acknowledge each other. You you get a hint of that as well uh for what Ian's talking about. Okay. And the eye did you say the eye thing or did I miss that? No, yeah, Frank brings hand up towards his eye. Yeah, okay. How he was shot during the the loop. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's some, Donna, there's some fascinating articles online, what uh, Ian was talking about, because I've read some of those. When you started talking about the, the manipulated dead, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some there's some good stuff out there that that kind of really deep dives into it. OK, well, let me ask you a different question. Is there anything that Frank did in life that he deserved to be shot? Now, let me let me explain this question. What I saw him doing was driving faster than he should have been driving. Okay. That was it. He drove faster than he should have been driving. He had no reason to expect an old woman to be standing in the road and a girl to be lying down in the road. Okay. Drunk because he went to go get more beer. I saw they, they, they didn't outside of a line of let's go get more beer. I saw no sign that he was drunk. The movie did not give us any indication that he had been drinking. Um, mm-hmm. All they had to do was have even Franz. I'm sorry. That's the actor's name. Have Franz get out with a bottle in his hand. And that would have been enough to say he's been drinking the movie in the, the, in direct, the, lang- the director's cut does have it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> in the language of the movie, they gave us no sign that he had been drinking. So the only thing Frank did wrong that we saw was driving faster than he should have been driving, which is not a death sentence worthy crime. So I'm curious, did Frank do anything to deserve being shot through the eye? I think the short answer is no. We're never shown much about Frank. And other than the fact that he's 
uh, Donnie's sister's boyfriend. And he's what? 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 Mm-hmm. So we uh, was I supposed to know that? Well, this is why this movie uh, requires multiple watchings. Okay. So uh, she is driven home uh, early in the morning and dropped off and uh, closes the door behind her as Frank drives away, who has just dropped her off. Mm-hmm. Another important thing is he honks several times. Mm-hmm. That is uh, a hint that Donnie laying in bed knows that the engine is going to crash through the, the uh, ceiling. And so that's where I believe he uh, does have a choice. And he sits up and laughs and is happy about what's going to happen as opposed to running, leaving, getting away, and not being killed. Mm-hmm. He knows he's going to make a sacrifice, but he also knows what that will mean and who he's saving. Okay, but how does he know that's Frank? How do we know that's Frank? Is it the coat? Isn't she wearing his coat when she comes in? That leather jacket? Um, she is wearing the leather jacket. I don't know if that's Frank's coat. I'm I, not sure. I think it is. Like As we were talking about it, I'm like, I remember the leather jacket, and I think that's Frank's leather jacket that she's got on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm totally willing to believe you because that's a loop back that would make total sense. I just want to know how I'm supposed to know that. Multiple watchings. <laughs> or it's okay. not necessary to know that initially to enjoy the movie. And then you mm-hmm. have that opportunity to dive in as opposed to getting it spoon fed, like Maka said about the other version. Mm-hmm. I think that's what is so exciting about the movie. You can watch but what, multiple- what am I going to see in the multiple watching that's going to tell me that? I think that is the uh, where it requires supplemental reading. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you just you have to get it from other sources. Yeah. Which is you can make of this movie having it be totally ambiguous and nebulous and not knowing what's going on at all, or you can dive into that and mm-hmm. get to know all the nitty gritty that more or less online you can find pretty definitive answers to. You know, mm-hmm. it's not so much of a debate. It's a this has been told. This is what's happening. And I think that's what's cool is because it allows you to decide what you want. Mm-hmm. If you were that enthralled by the movie that you want to go start Googling stuff, you can't. But if you just went, that was fun. That was interesting. Oh, that gave me something to think about. You can stop there. Or you can watch one more time and see if you catch stuff. Mm-hmm. Do whichever you, you, you makes sense for you. I think it's a little interesting about um, like what you were saying about, you know, do, does he have a choice or not? And the lyrics... Um, you know, fate up against your will, he will wait until you give yourself to him, which both implies fate, in which case you don't have a choice. And he will wait until you give yourself to him, meaning you have that choice to give yourself. I like that. That was interesting. Yeah. Well, and when we see that he first starts seeing the uh, the spears, as he call them, of water coming out of people that show where they're going to go, his is the only one that um, goes out and then beckons back with the finger indicating perhaps he's the only one that can make a choice within it interesting and the spears since you brought that up that's where this film always loses me on my multiple (laughs) viewings is when i start seeing the abyss creatures come out of people's chests. i'm like (laughs) the fuck are we doing richard kelly are you kidding me man and then it gets me back but yeah that's that's always that 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 hard line for me is that part and even reading the supplemental material after watching it, uh, it's like, okay, that makes sense. 
but yeah, I, I know where my line is, but I also know that it will get me back. <laughs> I think for a low budget movie, they just hit the point in CGI that even a, a, a low budget movie could do stuff like that. And they were like, oh, we got we're going to take advantage of that. Well, I what I find interesting with this film is they it, because it did at one of the festivals, it did very well. The problem is it came out right after 9-11. And since the plane crash is a big part of it, it kind of got shuffled under releases and not as many theaters. Like I think they fully expected because of the cast. And if you think of that cast, Mm. it is a phenomenal cast. I think that's what hurt it a little bit. Mm. Also, it came out the same year as another Jake Gyllenhaal uh, uh, venture, Bubble Boy. So it had to go up (laughs) against that one. That's that's. I always forget he's in Bubble Boy because I'm used to this and going forward, Jake Gyllenhaal. So I was like, oh, yeah, I do love, though, that is his real life sister in this. Like you see that mm-hmm. so much. And I buy Mary McDonald as their mother. Yeah. Like yeah. it's a very well cast as far as the family's concerned. Usually movies are like, no, those, <laughs> no, don't. They are not related, but clearly the siblings work. And then I, I even buy. Uh, Mother Darko as Mother Gyllenhaal. Yeah, she worked as their mother. And but I am annoyed at how much time I spent looking to figure out who was playing the sister. I am. I was like, oh, I know her. I know her. Who is that? I know. I know that girl. Okay, Uh, I want to talk about something that's stuck in my craw way back when and does to this day. And it's the single thought that I've obsessed about since watching it a week or two ago. So, and it's a two-pronged thing. This is the main one. So he's talking with Noah Wiley and they're talking about time travel and they're talking about DeLoreans and they're Mm -hmm. making a reference to that. And, And Donnie says, oh, I really like that movie. It's so futuristic. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, Donnie? Back to the Future isn't futuristic. It's nostalgic top to bottom. And I'm thinking, oh, he must mean part two. No, this is October of 88. Back to the Future part two has eight more months to go. But then he's unmoored from time. He's already seen Back to the Future (laughs) 2. Same thing with Ariel earlier in the movie. I'm like, Little Mermaid's not out yet. She doesn't have an Ariel doll. That's bullshit. I didn't pick up on that one. Oh, I, I, I did like you. You can't make it October yeah, of 88 and then pretend it's the summer of 89 for the rest of the movie. <laughs> eh, homie, don't play that. No, 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 no. This isn't the Goldbergs. All of the 80s didn't happen at the same moment. OK, take no a deep breath back. Take a I'm deep fine breath. now. The only reason <laughs> she gets a pass with the aerial is because it's DeVay Chase, a.k.a. Lilo from Lilo and Stitch and the little girl from the ring. So you can be equally terrified when you yeah. watch Lilo and Stitch now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Donna, as I thought about your, how do we know, how do we know your question? And I don't know if this is the answer, unless you watched it a number of times and really paid close attention without the supplemental stuff. But there's a point where Gretchen says, uh, I'm glad the school flooded today. He says, why? Because otherwise we wouldn't have had this conversation. And that starts off a whole path to, if I'm going to just jump into it really quick, that this is the supplemental stuff you can find, but you could 
probably pick up on all of it if you just watch the movie a number of times with that knowledge. But that leads them to get to know each other. That leads them to care about each other. Also, the sit next to the boy that you find the cutest, which I know is an issue for you, right? What was it that you were thinking when that came up? Um, well, it's just um, super inappropriate. It's right? super, super inappropriate. You, you, no, don't, don't, don't. That's yeah. just really, um, that was fireworthy. The, the story <laughs> that she, um, that she had them read, not fireworthy. Sit next to the boy that you find the cutest, fireworthy. Well, in 1980, that was, you required to be inappropriate. That was part of the. Fair. <laughs> Donna, right. they were doing cocaine in the halls. This was right, the, right. the high school from Cruel Intentions in the 80s. <laughs> all right. So. Okay. But- as okay. we talk about the manipulated living and manipulated dead that are guiding Donnie through this. Presumably he has a choice, but they're guiding, not forcing, but guiding. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, she, uh, Drew Barrymore's character, Dr. Pomeroy, she's introducing him to Gretchen. Gretchen is getting the chance to, to visit with him more because Frank's told him to flood the school. So uh, she's a post-grad student. <laughs> yes, that's She's right. post-grad. <laughs> Uh, bitch (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm sorry go on (laughs) then uh uh he has a point where uh dr monotov which is interesting because he speaks with uh gretchen and gretchen says oh i've got to write this paper from dr monsonov well that was just an actual flub of a line and he says oh well actually it's monotov which was just his uh quick (laughs) fix and they kept it in but uh so then he 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 floods the school they get the handwriting well what happens to the handwriting they even though donnie's looks close to it they think it's the boy so the boy threatens him and now has a vendetta against him specifically well in the end of the movie uh they go into the cellar well he's heard that he's heard cellar door because dr pomeroy mentioned that that J.R.R. tolkien talked about that being the most beautiful pairing of words in the english language his mom has talked about, oh, you know, Grandma Death, she has all this money. They say it's gems down in her cellar. Well, so then he goes to the cellar and he gets attacked by the bullies. Well, the bullies have attacked him because he, you know, he, he's given them that reason to be angry at him. Well, Grandma Death keeps going back and forth to get the letter, but this time he's written her a letter. There's actually one there. She's standing in the road. Frank goes to avoid her and... Uh, because he's the bullies have him pinned down. He can't go out. He can't jump up. He can't do anything. Frank kills Gretchen. Anyway, so on and on and on. There's all these things throughout the movie that are leading to that point. And some of them are very, very forceful. Like when he finds the gun, he's guided to it by time itself, it seems. And so if you look at the movie, you start being able to see all of these uh, reasons for everything leading up to uh what has to happen to save time and um that's where my question comes in does he have to follow it i don't think he does but he's very much guided strongly guided so you guys have mentioned and i'm kind of jumping back to this well did frank deserve to die and i always and i i always i always have this thought is that is it because he killed someone innocent like even accidentally, like there's, you know, there is the whole thing of if you uh, take someone that is truly innocent, like an innocent life, then there are repercussions. And I always feel like that is, 
you know, wrong place, wrong time with Frank, because Mm -hmm. it's known Grandma Death is always walking back and forth. And then you have Gretchen and both of them are together and they've never done anything wrong. Right. And so I always I always go back to that. You can't shed innocent blood for lack of a better phrase. This is your penance is that you have to guide now Donnie to right this wrong. I'm kind of fascinated with the idea of did he do something to deserve it? Because I don't know. Is that a horror thing? I know I'm the guest to this. I'm not the <laughs> horror expert. But um, why does he have to deserve it? People no, all he, he doesn't. I was just I was just curious. It was just something mm. that yeah. that came to mind is and th- this might get into the poll. I think it actually makes his second chance in the altered timeline more valuable. It's certainly in contrast to like Swayze, who, you know, doesn't deserve another chance. Like he just is getting a get out of jail free card. No, I think I was less concerned with Frank and more concerned with Donnie. Did mm. Don was Donnie's action appropriate? And Donnie's action was not appropriate, was was really no. more what I was was I was asking about. Um, but even that doesn't matter. I was just for my own curiosity. I'm just asking his, his response though, is interesting he, to the, to Frank's friend. He shouts, go home, tell your parents, everything's going to be okay. He's just killed oh, his friend. Yeah. And, and Gretchen's been killed by, by Frank. So yeah. how is everything going to be okay? And I think that's another that indicates this idea that he has some of this knowledge about what he's being required to do. Not full knowledge, but, he is given enough knowledge to know that uh, by reading the philosophy of time travel and talking to different people and maybe even times where we don't see it on camera, Frank speaking to him, that he's going to seal up this timeline and then everything's going to be okay for everyone except for him. See, and that line that you just said, I always have read that line as that's the moment he decides he's going to sacrifice himself that that he mm-hmm. that with everything's going to be all right that is the moment that it's like okay this i know what i have to do i'm doing it and this doesn't matter like none of this matters like i'm going to fix this i think that's really fun. yeah he's essentially the christ figure yeah because mm. he's sacrificing himself for everybody yeah and the halloween double feature was the evil dead and Last temptation of Christ. Yeah. That was an interesting choice, but it kind of makes sense in the context of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And so the temptation would be to not close the loop, right? Mm-hmm. So he can have what he wants with Gretchen. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you have to have Gretchen's death because he wouldn't. I don't think he, if, if, if nothing had happened to her, I don't think he would have done it. Right. I think most of the manipulation going into it is getting Gretchen to have the relationship with him and also for her to die. Mm. And one thing that we talked about with Frank and, and whether or not he deserved it. And I think this is tangential, but when he's sitting with him in the theater, in the bunny costume, I think it's really moving to, to me personally when he says, um, uh, what happened to your eye? as he sees Frank with the, with the uh, costume off and he sees him shot through the eye and his response is, I'm so sorry. I think that's him acknowledging. He knows who's going to do it to him. He knows mm-hmm. he's, he's the manipulative dead. He, it's already happened for him. And he realizes the sacrifice that Donnie's going to have to make. And so even though he could be, well, you shot me. Well, yeah, I'm pissed. I'm mad. No, I'm so sorry. 
Is he so sorry because of what Donnie will have to do or because he's saying, I, I killed your girlfriend. I'm so sorry. That's yeah. That's also a really good point. Well, I didn't realize for me personally until this viewing, how much supplemental material there is to read about it till I was like, you know, cause I'd watched it a couple weeks ago and just to kind of prepare, I was like, okay, well, let me see what's out there. You know, I searched Donnie Darko and then it was like Donnie Darko ending explain. I was like, okay. And it just kind of went on a, down a rabbit hole, <laughs> so to speak. And, um, and so I, and I found that fascinating. <laughs> Sorry, Mac is <laughs> Max pantomiming again. Mm-hmm. I know what my podcast listeners want. <laughs> <laughs> so I found that fascinating. And I always, you know, this, like this film is one of my brother's favorite movies. Like he saw it and he's just, after he saw it, he's the reason that we watched it. Cause he was like, no, you guys got to watch this. And so we watched it and he it's, it's in his top 10. And we need to connect you with Bo. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Bo. Brother Bo. Well, and in, in, in going back to Donna's, how would I know that? There's, there's again, things in the movie that if you're paying close attention, I think cue you off. But there's also ones that are impossible to know without the supplemental. When he gets to uh, Patrick Swayze's house, Jim Cunningham, the sprinklers are on. Well, at a certain point when he finds the wallet on the ground and realizes it's his, and then Frank tells him, now you know where he lives, the sprinklers turn off. And we're told in the supplemental stuff that, again, some of his quote unquote superhero powers are that strength that he has at times, but also water manipulation. Things to do with water just seem it's not so much of a air, you know, last airbender, but a water is part of it. And so that's why when he sees the things come out of the chest, it's like water. That's why he floods the school with water and the sprinklers turning off. It's sort of this hint. The water is responding to him because that's part of the living receivers powers or what have you i saw a an article where the director i think had had been interviewed and said he said there's there's opportunities to do things to do more things in this universe and i you know ian since this is your favorite movie what do you think about that would you want to see it what do you think the director would would do well, you know, that's interesting. They talk about in the philosophy of time travel, this having happened other times. And it's mentioned, Dr. Monatov says, you know, a metal vessel of any kind. And that's another part. It's always started by something metal. And in the book, it talks about at one point, it was a beer head. This is like, you know, 2000, 3000 years ago. And so, yeah, maybe if it was removed enough, perhaps, but I don't know. I, I, I do know that they did try to do something. And that was with Samantha Darko. They had a movie called S Darko. And it is horrendous. So I'm tempted to say, no, leave it be. But there's another part of me that says maybe. Yeah, but Kelly didn't have anything to do with S. Darko, that it was more just a, uh, I think that's the difference would be is if the, the, I mean, if Kelly had something to do with it. Mm. Well, and Kelly was very responsible for the director's cut that I think, as we've talked about before, removed some of the magic. I don't know. I think you maybe yeah. leave it alone. Yeah. You might Lucas it up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. what 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 if Donnie Darko was a small boy and we, we followed his <laughs> adventures? Because <laughs> I'd be pretty with 
<laughs> well, I, the the last couple things I have before, since I know we're getting close to the end, is uh, uh, just and and I could have a thousand things because this just yeah, of course I've I've gone on and on and I fanboy out because this is my favorite movie. But uh, one of the things he says in, in which is what he wrote in the letter to Roberta Sparrow, he says, "I hope that then when the world comes to an end, I can breathe a sigh of relief because there will be so much to look forward to." And when we have the scene of him laughing as he knows he's going to be crushed by the, the jet engine, I think that is in his head. And he's already said it to, he, he sent it to Roberta Sparrow. And I'm curious about that because we'll have so much to look forward to. Does he think there will be something after uh, he speaks with his therapist? She talks about God a lot, um, almost to a point that seems surprising because he doesn't introduce God very much. And so why is she bringing that up so much, you know, in, but uh, she also does some other things that are perhaps questionable in therapy. But, uh, yes, I did. not reporting crimes that are endangering, endangering people. Yeah, that's I did find it really interesting when he was talking with Noah Wiley's character and uh, the teacher was like, I can't continue this line of conversation when he started yeah. talking about God. I, I, I was really interested by that. Now, we can't you know, we can sniff cocaine in the hallway, but we can't. <laughs> We can't talk about God. Um, I just, I mean, I, I appreciated it, but I, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> but my, my final thing would be uh, going back to that ending where we see each of the characters having some sort of a sense memory about what actually happened during this time loop that at this point has been closed up and never occurred. And yet they sort of have a memory of it. And so we'd see Dr. Thurman she looks kind of startled or kind of like concerned or cause she kind of knows she's the one that spoke with Donnie a lot. And we see Dr. Pomeroy and Monotov in bed together. So if you ever had any question about whether or not Drew Barrymore and Noah Wiley were dating, there they are. I had no question. I had no question either. Cause Barrymore kind of has a pattern with whoever her, especially during that time, whoever her uh, boy toy was they're in a movie <laughs> with her. <laughs> And so then we see um, Jim Cunningham. He uh, is distraught, crying. He, he, he's clearly, you know, has that little bit of memory of being found out for his heinous deeds. Um, we see uh, Kitty, uh, Kitty Farmer, the teacher who worships Jim Cunningham. She brings her hand to her mouth. She looks shaken. Maybe, maybe in this one, she remembers having seen Jim Cunningham get found out as well. And she's in, you know, is shocked. But we see, uh, as we mentioned before, Frank brings his hand up to his eye, remembering being shot in the eye. And Sharita, and this is the one that I don't know if we have time for, but Sharita Chen is one of the manipulated living. It's actually listed in the supplemental stuff. What did she actually do to bring Donnie to close this up? Because I don't know if there's an answer or not, other than she embodies this compassion and that, that Donnie has compassion for her. He cares about her, whereas she's teased by everybody else. And she is shown in this uh, scene feel, looking very content and happy. And so it's like she was able to. She obviously had a crush on him. And when mm -hmm. that was revealed to him, he smiled. You know, he wasn't mean to her. Yeah. He no. smiled. And I think, you know, she brought some happiness to him. Like this mm. sweet person likes me. And the fact that he didn't react badly to that may have brought her some some happiness, too. So that, that yeah. may be a very simple thing. But, hey, crushes are sweet and simple things. So she's also an innocent. Yeah, mm. she's very innocent. Yeah. 
I also wanted Hungry Hungry Hippos for Christmas one year. And I think it may have been Christmas of 88. And I didn't get it because I think I, I like it wasn't like a supply chain thing. I think it was just too noisy. And my parents were like, well, Santa didn't get it. And I'm like, OK, well. <laughs> well, and how did you feel being denied these Hungry Hungry Hippos? <laughs> I'll have to dwell on that. <laughs> <laughs> So Ian, what what is your thought on did all this happen for real or or is there a diagnosis for Donnie Darko? Well, and I think that's interesting that uh, Donna brought up like, oh, is this just going to be a oh, he's schizophrenic uh, story? And it seems pretty clear to me, both in the movie and in the supplemental stuff that, no, this is straight up a sci fi story about time travel. And it is real. And although um we do hear about his he had emotional problems you know oh your dad your stepdad had emotional problems i have those too uh what did your stepdad do oh he stabbed my mom four times in the chest oh oh i you know abandoned building and then got in trouble and got held back but i don't know that we are given actually ever any indication that he had um visions or hallucinations or saw things um we 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 definitely are given in the movie that he had struggles and he needed to take medication but it's not until stuff starts that i think we know that we see for sure that he starts seeing frank and so forth and so i think it simply is yeah i think the jet engine's hard to argue out uh, to diagnose as a as a evolution (laughs) right yeah yeah i apologize I wanted to go back to the to the mental ill. He clearly did uh-huh. have some yeah. mental mental illness enough that he needed to see a therapist. Yeah. But uh, the phrase paranoid schizophrenia was not brought up until after he had started seeing Frank. Yeah. So I think he had some issues, but um, his his mental illness air quotes was not um, significant until the looping started. Well, in the deep dive, if you look at the medicine in the cabinet, um, you can see half of it. And people uh, have uh, deduced that it was a antidepressant and so not a antipsychotic or something similar. So, yeah, he was he was depressed and he he's smarter than everyone. His Iowa test scores are intimidating. And so, you know, he probably struggled to get along with the other kids and so forth. And then. He had these issues, but I don't think, yeah, any kind of uh, psychotic issues before it. And so I don't think he ever had psychotic issues because I think he really saw Frank. Yeah. And and I think the, the theory I'm almost working with in the supplemental stuff may not back this up is that the loop itself is not as uh, the borders of it are far fuzzier than I think we're initially led to believe. Like the fact that he has an awareness of Back to the Future Part Two eight months <laughs> before it came out. <laughs> Um, but also like he had some of those issues beforehand. It may have had a, uh, that may have been still the event, but it may have gone even prior to the first, uh, curve of the loop and may have even extended after his death that he has an awareness of the future beyond when he would die and had issues predating it. It it could all be, attached to this and that the closer he gets to Frank, the more potent and, and, mm. and misdiagnosable it could be. Cause then he, he does have sort of a schizo affect to him at the peak of the story. But mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's fair. 
that weird little smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Ian, you have our quote. So there's so many quotes in this, and I can quote most of the movie because I, I love it so much. But I think, although not necessarily being my favorite quote, the most appropriate quote that it has to be is, sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. Yeah. I think that is the taps into the theme and it's sort of a, a pedestrian. I don't mean that as a pejorative theme. Uh, the not evil, but the, the sort of uh, hostility of adults who are trying to make children live up to their ambitions for mm-hmm. themselves. And it's sort of that stage mom mentality. And I thought that it, that was portrayed very well in this without bogging the movie down in, in that sort of an element. Oh yeah. For someone that was around that, like in an opposite, in, in, in a complimentary lane, like seeing that vicariously living through your child doing activities. Yeah. I have been told failure is not an option backstage at an elementary school. So I'm like, <laughs> there's insight in this movie that is beyond just the time travel. <laughs> oh, Mac, <laughs> little, little Mac. <laughs> hungry, hungry hippos would have fixed everything is all I'm saying. <laughs> little Mac is the name of the, the character in Punch-Out. <laughs> that was <All> random. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to go hug little Mac. <laughs> and tell them it's okay. He's it's out of okay. the loop. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> Failure is always an option. Listen to Adam Savage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mac, you have a rule. Yes. Uh, I can't remember what the syntax we settled on it was, but uh, always take your medication. If it yes. is properly diagnosed and you still have the, the dosage, don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Certainly don't abruptly stop your medication without consultation from a medical professional. Yes. And seriously, Dr. Donna says, do not abruptly stop taking your medication because sometimes that's very bad for you. (laughs) And you should trust Donna because she's Dr. Donna. By the way, the solar plexus is not in the middle of your chest. I just need to spit that out. Uh, Solar uh, plexus uh, is not the middle of your chest. That's your Back to the Future Part 2 in this movie. It's like, no! No! It's not futuristic, Donnie. Get your head in the game! <laughs> the solar plexus is at the bottom of your rib cage. <laughs> the bottom of your sternum. Okay, I feel better now. Feel better? <laughs> yeah. Well, Donna, you have our poll. Well, it's it's kind of already been spoiled just a little bit by the conversation we've already had. But the, the, the poll is... Which was the better world, the world in which Donnie lived or the world in which Donnie died? And some of the conversation we've had has already answered that a little bit. But let's go ahead and discuss it. Was the better world the one in which Donnie survived the plane engine falling or the one in which he died? Outside of Patrick Swayze's second chance, I'd say the Donnie died timeline is better. For the for the greater good, the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah, I I'm kind of selfish because I do like Donnie, and I think that's the strength of Gyllenhaal. And I think the one where he lives 
is for him is better, but then you have to weigh in the greater good. And that's where it gets complicated. I mean, my preferred way to die is in a fiery explosion that saves either the planet or, you know, an immediate group of close people from imminent danger. So, I Does mean, it have to be fiery? <laughs> preferably, because that would be faster than, like, and I'm talking about like fiery, not like, oh, God, fire. And then I do a whole Ralph Macchio and the Outsiders thing. I'm talking like, <laughs> Bruce Willis Me Armageddon, fiery. Like <laughs> I didn't feel it. It's just I'm okay. Out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was worried for you for a minute. He wants there. to be yeah. vaporized. Yeah. Generally, I want to be surprised by my death, but specifically, yeah. You you want to arrive at your final destination, being like, how did this happen? It's like, oh wait, what? Huh? Okay. Didn't even notice. <laughs> but if you arrive confused and that's more apt that you could haunt people in the future because then you don't know you're dead so hey you might be on hey. something Mac. more bruce willis deaths yeah yeah <laughs> and see, when it's your time to go do you need me to like surprise kill you so that you can do that uh forget kenzie yes <laughs> And Debbie and I are now going to buy large axes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Here we are. We love you. We love you. It's got to be in one shot, though, because if you're hacking away, then the whole th better, the whole thread's lost. You better make right. those hacks count, ladies. That's yeah, all I'm like, practicing. We're going to go I'm, buy axes and then practice. Once I'm in the fifth hack, I'm like, oh, I'm dying. I don't enjoy this so much. <laughs> I need to be like dead asleep, you know, which you... You know, I know Debbie knows that I, I sleep like the dead, so. The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever <laughs> had. Oh, the music in this movie is incredible. Yeah. 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 All right. Who is next on the poll on there? I think uh, it's a hard one for me because I, actually when I think about it, I didn't think about it much before this um, because I, I had gone and delved into that extra stuff. And so I knew that that presumably that time and space and everything maybe would just be destroyed if this didn't happen. And so, of course, that's well, actually, you know, that's I don't true. know if that's worse. Uh, you know, very <laughs> that in the beginning, that's pretty dark. Uh, 2022 they, would have an opinion about that. Yeah. 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 yeah Terry Pratchett says in the beginning, created the universe and uh, it might have been Douglas Adams. But I said and think, a lot yeah. of people thought this was a pretty bad idea. Adams. <laughs> that's Adams. Yeah. 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 But uh, no, I think um, it's actually interesting because, okay, so Gretchen and, and Donnie don't uh, get together, which is sad from my point of view because I liked them both in the movie and I like them as a couple. And But, um, you know, it's does Donnie die or does Gretchen die? And I mean, I guess Frank would be including that too. So, But um, really, if you don't take into account the entirety of existence being destroyed – if it's just the choice between those other two, um, I don't know. I guess it's almost just one for two. And then we also get someone getting away with the kitty porn dungeon. So that's actually pretty tricky for me. I think maybe it almost might be better the one where Donnie survives. But I'm that's very tentative. And I, it's not my gut that feels that way. It's overanalyzing that feels that way. So I don't know. Sign of a good movie, I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> same. Yeah, it's it's one of those things like, you know, I, again, I was kind of going on the whole like, well, if if he doesn't die, you know, everything will be obliterated. Um, and like at the same time, if if he were to die, 
the beauty of Gretchen and him as a couple, like all the things that they experienced and, and the beauty of that life never happened. And I like the idea of that happening, but you know, I, I guess overall the whole like annihilation thing is, is not desirable. It's complicated. (laughs) It's interesting that between 1988 and now we're, we're, we're soft on annihilation of the universe is bad. <laughs> it seems like a valid choice. <laughs> Intellectually, we think that's bad, but there is room for debate. <laughs> we're not closing the door on it, is, yeah. is what we're saying. I mean, we are humans living in 2022. So, yes, we are soft on that subject. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, before we had the discussion about people remembering what happened, I did have questions, which included the are we solid on the destruction of all of space time? Is that actually going to happen? But um, but yeah, knowing that people kind of remember um, or, or, you know, I'm going to assume that somebody is going to say, hey, you might want to check out that Cunningham's house. <laughs> I I have a feeling that something is going on there. Um, So that's, but even beyond that, you know, Cunningham was doing harm even beyond the kitty porn thing. You know, his, his whole love and fear thing was, was doing harm to people. And so he needed to be shut down there, you know, so the fact that people were remembering the things that were happening, you know, I'm just really thrilled that what's her name? Charity. Charita. 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 The fact that Charita had a smile on her face at the end, you know, that made me happy. Donnie. I mean, Donnie was likable. Donnie was, was a likable guy. And so I was sad to see him go, but you know, he was also the kind of guy that would willingly lie in bed while a jet engine fell on him to, to save the world. Which, you know, made him likable. <laughs> so I think given all of that, then yeah, you know, he sacrificed himself to save the world. So there you go. The world in which Donnie sacrificed himself is is the better world, but it kind of makes me sad that it had to happen that way. But he chose it. So like he is master of his own destiny. Cause I think he could have got like I mean, obviously he could have, because he did. In, in the first version of it. So I think depending on how much awareness he has of his fate, he definitely, I mean, he had the opportunity to die in a fiery explosion that saved the world from imminent disaster. And regardless of his views of Back to the Future, I have a kinship with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go ahead and start us off with the happy place here. Uh, and I, I've used this a couple times, but it really, it really is. Uh, so my happy place is skating. And I love, I just love it because it, I have to concentrate. I have to focus and essentially be present and take up space when I do it. And I think that is, that's just, that's kind of huge and kind of a big deal and something it's just good mentally. And I, I, I just love it. <laughs> I just made a really hard choice a few months ago and I have just been really thrilled by the support and friendship and love I have found in the world as a re- result of that. And um, I just, 
am constantly surprised by the reality that I have found myself in because I did not think that was the reality I had. So there, that's it. I, I am living in a kinder, more loving reality than I thought I had. There. You closed the loop. <laughs> I closed the loop. Nice. You know, the last time I think that I was on the podcast, um, my happy place was that I was going to be moving to Utah for a little while. And currently my happy place is I am now in Utah for a little while. Yay! With my boyfriend. Well, to piggyback on that, my happy place is a hedgehog named Bertrand, a pug named Pig, and a human named Debbie. (laughs) In Utah. In Utah. Utah. Well, wherever they are, but currently in Utah, and that's great. Yeah. Crap, that leaves me at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My happy place is, uh, you know, I've I've finished a lot of big projects lately, and they're out in the world. And so it is now incumbent on me to start some some of the new big projects. I have the idea for the next novel I'm going to write. And I'm actually delaying my start in it. I'm like, I get this thing when I'm about to start something and I almost treat my, myself like a rubber band. Like I'm just getting taut enough so that when I finally get started, I'll have all this momentum and just start running. Uh, and oddly enough, you know, I talked about how this movie hit me different than it did 20 years ago. And that that was more of a reflection on me than the movie. But I'm realizing now that we've talked about it, there's just little drips and drabs of darkness that have uh, found its way into this new project that I'm realizing like, oh, there's a little bit of that. It's not like it's not like Donnie Darko, but by me, it's, you know, there's the movie had more of an impact on me this time than I than I realized at the beginning of the podcast. So my my opinion of the movie has slightly skewed and I'm about to start a brand new adventure. Happy placed. Oh. <laughs> Ian, thank you so much for coming. We, we appreciate having us. You always, you know, suggest interesting films for us to watch that it's always great. So where, where can they find you? What, what you're doing? All, all of that good stuff. Oh, well, I don't do much on social media, but my hedgehog's pretty busy at it. So you can find him at Bertrand underscore D underscore Snufflebottom on Instagram. That is Snuffle with two Fs. That's correct. I love his, his, his full name. I love it. Every time I see it and it shows up <laughs> on my feed, it just, it makes me smile. It's fantastic. <laughs> what does the D stand for? Danger. That's his middle name. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on all the social medias. You can find us on Facebook. We've got a webpage, which is beyond the cabin in the woods.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram at beyond cabin. Um, Donna, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at dragon goblin. There is no I in goblin. They can find me on Instagram at dragon goblin with no I in goblin. Well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Callista 77. You can find me there. I'm pretty, pretty active on both. So, you know, stop by and say hi. Hi. (laughs) Uh, Debbie Mack, what about you on social medias? Um, Well, I do the Beyond the Cabin Instagram. So Beyond the Cabin in the Woods on Instagram. I can be found at Party Apocalypse on Twitter. I think I technically have an Instagram, but it is a barren wasteland of nothingness. You can find more uh, stuff at 
partyapocalypse.com, my blogs, movie reviews, the books I've written. And uh, I have another podcast, which is a Star Trek rewatch podcast. We're in the middle of season one of TNG right now. It's uh, The Holodeck is Broken, which I'm with uh, uh, my wife, Laura, and uh, friends of the show, Z and Eris. Eris and I are, we've already got a couple episodes stocked up of a uh, friendables, two friends talking about Hannibal Lecter, uh, which we may do a a crossover episode with this uh, show here in the summer we're talking about. And at the moment, that's it. My new book, uh, The Once and Future Orson Welles, is available on uh, Kindle and in paperback formats. The uh, My short story collection, uh, if any of these stories goes over 1,000 words, this entire book will explode, is also available in ebook, paperback, and audible formats. Oh. Uh, it mm-hmm. includes a short story featuring one Roger K. Dunwhistle, uh, <laughs> who... Uh, uh, fans of the show will remember from days past and days future. Uh, always, thank you, Billy, our editor. <laughs> and as always, the listeners, we do appreciate, seriously, you know, we, we can talk about this stuff by ourselves, but we can't do this without you. And we do appreciate you guys listening and supporting us in this fun little adventure. So thank you. And whatever you do, don't read the letter. You know what horror is. Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people. Meow. Meow.